Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today, and thanks again for joining us and uh, for, you know, faithfully setting your DVR or whatever to join us every week on the program. Uh, thank you again also from the bottom of our heart for your kind words and your emails to us and uh, your cards, letters, and enjoying meeting many of you in our travels at different places where we're at. Come see us somewhere if we're close to you. All of our information's on our website, which of course you can see is put right there on the television program, so you can uh, go there and, and catch any of our uh, archive programs that are linked to that as well as our products. You can go there and find them. Uh, we also want to say that we've been filming probably now for well over 100 uh, weeks on the book of Revelation. And so all the stuff that we've aired to date is on YouTube. It is also on iTunes. You can, you can sign up for our podcast and get the podcast of the audio of these programs and catch up while you're driving to work or whatever. And so they are available in so many different formats that you can go back and get them. And we encourage you to do that. There's also some churches that are showing them in their Wednesday night uh, Bible study and then having discussion about them. We're not trying to say that every detail of what we're saying is exactly right. We certainly have adjusted over the years, but I think you're catching the gist of what we're trying to say. I'm going to come back. We've, we've filmed five programs already dealing with the Lamb's Wife, so I'm going to go a little further in Revelation 19 today. And uh, we're going to begin. We're going to jump in. Instead of reading the whole chapter, I'm going to jump in uh, down where this shifts uh, from uh, the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb. And, of course, it's talking about... Uh, let me just begin in verse number 9. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called. Under, this is Revelation 19, verse 9. He saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called under the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And this is where I want to really begin today and maybe the next segment or so. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had, on, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him, upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together under the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword 
of him that sat upon the horse which sort of proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, I'm going to go back and take you uh, into Revelation, the first, first chapter, show you this powerful comparison. This is actually a, uh, a pretty complete picture of the description of, uh, of, of Jesus again as uh, uh, he, uh, let me just read this to you. Uh, he, he declares himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And verse number 12 of chapter 1 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His hair, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice is the voice of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hand on me and said unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. He that liveth, I am he that lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be. Hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, the comparison I want to make, it is very clear to me that when you get to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation and you see the rider on the white horse, that there is a powerful uh, uh, comparison with the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Uh, he has a sharp two-edged sword going out of his mouth. Uh, he has uh, the keys of hell and of death. And, uh, uh, you know, his, his visage was as the sunshine and his strength. In other words, the comparison here of this multifaceted description of Jesus. Remember, this whole book of Revelation is primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ, an unveiling, an apocalypsis, which means to unveil or to uncover that which has been hid. One of the things that I want to say about this triumphant rider on the white horse is that when he describes himself in chapter 1 and the description he gives of himself is very similar to the sword coming out of his mouth, uh, sound of many waters, uh, he's got uh, his eyes like a flame of fire, uh, he's uh, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Many of the things he describes are very comparative to what you see in the 19th chapter. I don't think that we would find too much disagreement in any camp with who this rider on this white horse is. He has a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. He is also called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's really a no-brainer who this is talking about. It's talking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. As you see in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, this multifaceted description of Jesus is he does not have a literal sword coming out of his mouth, but he has a sharp two-edged sword. Anybody with any kind of spiritual understanding at all knows that these are symbolic pictures. So when you see Jesus coming here in the book of Revelation riding on a white horse, it's not because he's raising horses in heaven but it's because it symbolizes the triumph of the gospel or the sword that's proceeding out of his mouth. I wrote in my notes right before I came on camera here today, I was sitting contemplating, waiting on us to begin to film, and I wrote in my notes that the sword is 
uh, is two-edged. Uh, it's a sharp two-edged sword. So it has both a, uh, a judgment side and a life-giving side to it. If you will, the sword is uh, for the people of God. It is against the enemies of God. It is in Revelation 4 called the word that is sharp and powerful is called the word of God. It is the word that flows from the context of rest. In Hebrews 4 he says for uh, you know, uh, labor to enter into rest and then right on the heels of him saying rest for the word of God is quick and is powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. So if you're on, uh, if I say it like this, you're on the redemptive side of God, that word, that sword is in your favor. It is a sword that flows from rest. It is against your enemies. If you're on the wrong side of the sword, it is a sword of judgment. And so when you see uh, this rider on the white horse, it symbolizes to me the ultimate triumph of the Word of God. And it also symbolizes a couple of things. It's so, it, it's, it symbolizes to me both that which was prophesied of the judgments, even the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 that upon that generation would come the blood of all of the slain that were slain upon the earth and that that judgment would come, that this is the carrying out of the word of the prophetic word that came out of his mouth in chapter number 19. It is the prophetic word of the Lord prophesied in judgment uh, being executed and uh, over the enemies of the cross, the beast, the false prophet. And this is directed against the enemies of the Lamb and against those who were fighting against the Lamb. So, uh, but on the other side of that, the word that comes out of his mouth is a two-edged sword of the gospel. So it speaks to me of the ultimate defeat of his enemies, but the ultimate triumph even of the word of God as he goes forth still declaring the word and the gospel of the kingdom until uh, I, I believe that, you know, Daniel prophesied concerning this kingdom that it, would, uh, it was a rock cut out of the mountains that would ultimately fill the whole earth. The expand, when, when you hear him saying uh, in, in chapter 19, uh, give glory to him before the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It talks about to me the ongoing increase of his government and peace of which there will be no end. So that we see even in these armies that as I've shared with you uh, in prior segments, there's, a, there's actually uh, two things that are happening here in Revelation 19. There is judgment coming still uh, uh, being carried out upon the, uh, the beast and the false prophets. And so uh, there are actually two beasts in the book of Revelation chapter 13. One was a sea beast, the other was a land beast. One looked like a lamb, talked like a dragon, which to me was the apostate religious system with its pr uh, false prophet. There's a judgment being directed towards them, but there's also uh, a... Um, a judgment that is being directed towards the Roman armies as they came to destroy. Actually, they were the agents of God's warfare in bringing chastisement and destruction to the great whore in chapter number uh, 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 18 and 19 of the book of Revelation. But then you see him because they not only uh, because they had turned on the Lamb and because they persecuted the saints, God was going to avenge them of their blood. If God, in other words, if God is for you, you're in a good position. If God be for you, who can be against you? The enemies of the cross, God was about to bring judgment upon them as well. Now, let me say this, because, uh, you know, in some areas, I'm not a full preterist in the idea that everything here... Uh, 
a great deal of it's been fulfilled, but I see that the Roman armies and their beasts were not destroyed, not in 70 A.D. I believe it was somewhere around 400 and something uh, uh, A.D. that Rome, but Rome ultimately fell, but in the uh, uh, whole progression from 70 A.D. on that Christianity had so taken its hold and the gospel and the sword that had flowed out of his mouth had literally turned Rome into a Christian nation within just a couple of hundred years. So this lamb uh, was riding through this with the sword of his mouth. He continues to ride. One of the things I want you to see is in Revelation chapter 1, he is described as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He is described as having the voice of many waters. But then John says he's also described as walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And so uh, this multifaceted description of, of, of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, uh, is not only just a, it's not, you know, in other words, it is a, uh, it is a symbolic picture of, first of all, the sword of the Word of God coming out of us. It's not a literal sword. I mean, the book of Revelation itself tells you these things were written in signs and in symbols. And so, uh, you know, the seven golden candlesticks is not just pretty furniture on a planet three miles south of Mars called heaven. He tells you in the last verse of chapter 1, the seven golden candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. And when you see this multifaceted description of Jesus, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, he is walking in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks so that everything that he is is in the midst of his church so that his church is also involved in the spreading of the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom being preached in the discipling of the nations. Uh, one of the things that Jesus told us to do that was his mandate it was to disciple nations. One of the things we'll see in the uh, 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation is that this tree of life uh, is on both sides of the river and that the leaves of this tree were given to heal the nation. So uh, somebody asked me one time, well, what do you see about Revelation 21 and 22? Is it past, present, or future? My answer to that is yes, it's all of the above. It's past in that there was a church, a new Jerusalem and a new bride birth, but it continues to a function in the earth. Uh, uh, is it present? Yes, it's a present reality. Is it still future? Yes, it's going to continue to unfold because the nations of the earth still have need to be healed. And when you see Revelation 21, outside the city are dogs and whoremongers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That says to me that there are still some people uh, outside the city. We see the Revelation 21 as this glorious culmination and, and in some ways it is a glorious culmination, but in other ways there are still people outside the city that have need of the tree of life because the tree of life is given for the healing of the nations. And if the church, or if the bride of Christ is the church, it is the Lamb's wife, it is the city set on a hill that cannot be hid, then what that declares to me is we are that right now. We are the salt, the light in the earth that is sent forth into the earth to continue to allow the sword of His mouth that's too edged uh, to, to affect the nations of the earth until the Word of God will ultimately conquer and bring all nations. The Scripture tells us that all nations shall come and bring their glory and honor into it and that the kings of the earth shall bow themselves, that every knee will bow, every tongue will swear, that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glorious ongoing uh, reality the gospel brings to us when we preach 
that it really works. I read a blog about me one time, and some guy was writing negative thoughts about me. And he said, this guy talking about me really believes the gospel will actually work. And he thought he was insulting me, but that was actually a very true assumption. I do believe the gospel will work. This rider on the white horse is not just some Jesus flying down through the middle of heaven on a horse. This is representative of his triumph throughout all ages as he is the one whose vesture is dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And he's got a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And uh, it is both judgment to the apostates, but yet victory and peace and, and righteousness and a sword that flows from rest to the people of God. And so it is both a, a historic fulfillment of God bringing judgment upon the apostate harlot system and its beast that look like a lamb and talk like a dragon with its religious system as well as the conquering of the Romans that we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, and so, you know, uh, it, it, it is against, you know, he's waging war against unbelievers, but he is, uh, that sword is on the behalf of his people. And I believe you see that the supper of the great God is twofold to those who are uh, the flesh of kings and captains and horses that they're about to get. He's about to invite all the fowls to, to uh, eat the supper of the great God. It is a, it is a feast, if you will, of catastrophe and uh, carnage, but to the believer, uh, while the harlot, according to Revelation, let me see if I got it in my notes here someplace, but according to Revelation uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 16, it says, concerning this beast, they will, these will hate the whore, and they will devour her flesh. So there, there, there's a supper, the calling of birds for the supper of the great God is no doubt intended as a contrast to the marriage feast uh, referred to in verse number 9 of chapter 19. And there's actually two, the story, it's actually the story of two suppers. They contrast sharply. One is the joyous marriage, the other is the carnage of vultures. I'd rather be the one invited and stay in uh, where we enjoy the marriage of the Lamb and His feast than I would uh, to be on the outside where the judgments of God are. I'd rather be feeding on Lamb and enjoying my relationship with Him than I would to be on the other side of that where I am the carnage and uh, for the fowls of the heavens. Uh, I want to, you know, kind of take a look at this also, you know, that, uh, uh, of course, His name is called the Word of God. He has a vesture dipped in blood. I also want to draw attention to the fact that in the sixth chapter, of the book of Revelation, uh, this, uh, there, there is, this, this book uh, begins by saying, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Now, again, I believe that if I, if I remember right, the beginning of this chapter, four beasts say, Come and see. Now, I think it's interesting to me that in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, four beasts say, Come and see, and... Uh, uh, and then I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, I have said and agree, and I'm going to continue to say, that this rider on the white horse is none other than the same one in Revelation 19. In chapter 6, the beasts say, come and see, and in Revelation number 19, they start to be, respond by saying, and I saw. So it starts out saying, come and see, and then the response is, and I saw a horse, a white horse rider. The white horse rider, I believe in chapter 6, is none other than the Lamb and His victory and His triumph. Now, I know that there are others that say 
that this rider on the right horse was the uh, Antichrist or that had come to destroy the people of God. Whoever you see this rider as, you must remember also that the Roman armies were the agents of the Lamb to execute judgment upon the apostate children of Israel. So whoever you see this as, the victory to me still belongs to the rider of the white horse, which is Jesus Christ. And then as this book is opening, remember that all of the catastrophes that come as a result of the opening of the seals of the book are a result of this rider on the white horse who is going forth to ultimately produce a victory that was declared prophetically from the foundation, or from not, maybe not, well, yeah, from even the foundation of the earth, but all of the prophetic word of uh, the Old Testament are culminating. We're seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies of Joel and the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of a uh, coming war that was determined and a coming fire that was issuing out of the throne, a river of fire that issued out of the throne in Daniel chapter number 9 when there is a judgment that was set upon this Roman beast. And uh, what you see is you see that this is the ultimate triumph of this beast as he rides through uh, the book of Revelation and, and literally throughout the ages to bring victory from the declaration of the Word of God. I would say also uh, very quickly before I run out of time in this segment, uh, that the armies of heaven followed him on white horses. Uh, 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 and, uh, um, and I think that these are probably could well be uh, the angel armies in Matthew chapter 13. Don't know if I've got enough time to go there, but I think I'm going to try. Uh, Matthew 13, if I don't finish, we'll go into the next segment anyway. But Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower that went forth to sow. And in Matthew 13, verse number 40, uh, let, me, let me catch this real quick. Verse number 40, uh, of course you know that, he, first of all, I'm not going to read all of this, but he gives a parable and he talks about a, a certain man went out and sowed the seed of the kingdom. He sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares. And, uh, and uh, so then, in, uh, let me see, in in verse number 40, well, let me back up here. And he answered them, he's telling them, verse 36, he says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Because he talked about the Son of Man went forth to sow seed. He sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So Jesus did the planting of the seed. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, literally the end of the age. It's not the end of this age. It was the end of that old covenant age. We need to see that in the context of who he's talking to here. If the Son of Man sowed the seed in the field, and uh, uh, while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares. Uh, he tells them that the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, or literally, if you read it in other translations, the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age, literally. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. I believe that these 
angels that are following him on white horses are part of this uh, whole deal to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. If you remember, I have shared with you in the last probably five or six weeks about the different parables of the, the, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins, the faithful servant and the unfaithful stewards. I showed you how the marriage of the son, there was those that were invited in and uh, they didn't come in and so he excluded them and invited others. The rest were cast out where there was weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. And I showed you how that, that was the Jewish people who were uh, the apostates who did not receive their Messiah. They were cast out into outer darkness. There was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13 is the fulfillment, again, I believe, of many things that he's saying in Revelation chapter number 19. He sowed the good seed, and the good seed was the children of the kingdom, the people who received the seed on good ground. They received the word of the kingdom gladly. And it produced for them. And they were the ones that were brought into the household of faith, brought into the barn, gathered into his garn, garner, and, uh, and, and, and were, were literally brought into the kingdom of God. We now live in the kingdom of God. But the children of the, the wicked one, Jesus looks at those of his day. He said, you're not Abraham's seed. You are of your father, the devil. So the evil seed was those who were the apostates who did not receive the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching and the offer of the new covenant and the offer of receiving him and his life. And so they were cast out. They were gathered together in bundles and burnt with an unquenchable fire. You're going to see in Revelation 19 that there's a fire that burns outside the city and they were burnt with a fire and it was an unquenchable fire. And, uh, uh, but but uh, they, they, they destroyed them and all the things that went with them. I don't think I've got enough time to... To, but I, I'm going to try to. Revelate, I mean, Matthew 16, verse number 27 says this. It says, For the Son of Man shall come. Or what, verse 26 says, For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then he shall record every man according to his works. Verily I said unto you, There shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This judgment, he told them, would happen to them standing right there and that they would re some would receive reward and others would receive according to their works. That's not in our future. This happened in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. We are out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Sow a seed into the ministry and we will thank you for it and appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.